welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Derive here with my co-host, Nick Roccia. We're here to talk about last week's UFC, where Justin Gaethje knocked out Donald Cerrone in the very first round of their main event. We're going to talk about this coming week's UFC, Nick. Yair Rodriguez going up against Jeremy Stephens this weekend. That's going to be a, an exciting battle, although it's not necessarily full of riches overall. That card does have a couple of standouts that I think will make for a fun event. Yeah, I, I agree. It uh, it doesn't quite have the firepower of UFC Fight Aid 158, aka UFC on ESPN plus 16. Had a little more firepower than 17, but I expect uh, 17 will be a more fun card. Yeah, I could certainly see this turning out with some very exciting bouts. There's actually a bunch of pickums here. I'm seeing a lot less opportunity with the betting than I usually do on this one, but a really really good night for my betting recommendations from last week. I actually adjusted my bets a little bit, Nick. Ended up making less than I would have had I just stuck to the podcast version. Uh, 57% return uh, uh, on investment. So a really good one. Looking forward to discussing that later That's good. in the episode. I mean, you got um, you got kind of hosed by Michelle Perea, but we could talk about that later. Yeah, th- that's a parlay that I added uh, outside of the podcast, Nick. Luckily, he didn't have an opponent when, I, when we were recording the podcast, or I probably would have suggested that as well. Uh, but yeah, he did hose me, uh, lost me 100 bucks. That guy is, I mean... It's about the performance, funnily enough, that I expected him to have in his UFC debut. He just got that quick knockout and looked more like Johnny Walker than Houston Alexander, I guess. So UFC on ESPN Plus 16 last weekend, Cowboy versus Gaethje. Justin Gaethje, Nick, is not only the must-watch fighter, but he's quickly ascending to becoming number one contender. I think the only man in between him and Khabib in the rankings at this point should be Tony Ferguson, who's on a 17-fight winning streak. What were your thoughts on this main event, Nick? It went exactly the way that I thought it would. And Gagey's not too far. You know, he has this with the win over Vic um, and the win over Barbosa, uh, which are good, which are good wins against top, you know, I would say top 15 guys. Maybe Barbosa's a top 10, uh, you know, top 10 guy. But it's somewhere he got so far removed from his wars and his defeats against uh, uh, Diamond, uh, Dustin the Diamond. Uh, um, Poirier. Poirier, sorry, I get him so confused with uh, Pedroia, the Red Sox say Poirier, wow, um, and Eddie, and uh, the underground king, uh, Eddie Alvarez, who also put him down, but I think he's so strong, he's got great leg kicks, um, is he, you know, is he going to do anything against Khabib or McGregor, uh, let's see, but there's not, let's put it this way, there's not a lot of fights left for him, um, I think back at 155, uh, I think Rafael Dos Anjos would be a tough fight for him. Um, if Rafael Dos Anjos ever moved down, I'm trying to think of other 155ers that would be tough for him. But he's yeah, he's he's listen, he's he's money. He's must see TV every fight. This is let's see, there was Michael Johnson, then there were the two losses, and then there's the three, and then there's the three wins. So he says six UFC fights, and they've all none of them's had a boring, uh, you know, a boring second. So absolutely not. All He's, of them ended by knockout, Nick, and two of them, he not the last three in a row, he got first-round knockouts against some very respectable names in the division. So yeah, he, oh, he looked, he looked, he looked great. He felt, you know, he got tagged a couple times by Cowboy, but he didn't, he didn't flinch, and uh, he just put, you know, he just put it on him. There was a nasty, nasty right hand. Uh, I think it just put Cerrone on another planet. 
Uh, it was one of the rare instances when every everyone thought it was a late stoppage except the guy who got knocked out <laughs> because he had no yeah. idea he had no idea where he was. So I, don't, I when, think he, when, I think he. When you suddenly wake up and you realize that you're on your knees and the referee's holding on to you, uh, you know, especially when you're a tough guy like Donald Cerrone, I guess you just assume that you're perfectly fine and you actually do not remember the last few moments of the fight where you basically face planted a time and a half. So yeah, really, really impressive performance by Gaethje. Gaethje didn't just pressure him too; it was more of a tempered pressure, and he did a really good job of countering McGregor. Oddly enough, I don't know that anyone really uh, Cerrone. That. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, that's a little bit of a Freudian slip, I guess, for what's what's coming in the future. Uh, yeah, he he was able to counter him. He, he slipped Cerrone's left hand and countered with a heavy, big right hand. Very kind of McGregor-esque, although McGregor usually counters with his left. Um, he looked more like the Matador in this matchup, even though we all expected him to be the effective, effective bull. And again, just that idea that you do have to have a certain level of perseverance that Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez had. Right, they, they took a lot of damage, and they enacted a game plan where they were consistently attacking the body and doing damage onto Gaethje as well. But their ability to take damage was key for them to be able to pull off those victories against Gaethje. Donald Cerrone can't really take punishment like that. And Justin Gaethje, especially landing clean counter shots. Nick, in the UFC game and in most boxing games, counter shots usually count for more, right? They they're usually land harder. Yes. They do more damage to, to your opponent in the game. It's the same thing in real life. And the main reason for that is not because it looks cool, but because it, when you've just thrown a shot and missed, it leaves you off balance. It usually yep. means that your body weight is leaning leaning forward into that punch that you were trying to throw. And your your chin leaning forward into your opponent's punch that's coming at you is worst case scenario. And that's exactly Yeah, I mean that's from, that's from an impasse perspective. You also can't prepare at all because if you're if you've just thrown, um, it's very unlikely that you're gonna you're gonna see the counter shot coming. Well, you know what? It depends. I think Cerrone isn't the best at that, especially at this age, but a guy like Cormier was able to do that round after round against Stipe Miocic. Now, we all know how that second fight ended, but uh, what I mean by that is he he kind of rolled with the punches. He turned his head in accordance with where the punch would have turned his head anyway. And so instead of taking the full impact, he literally yes. deflected yeah. a lot of it as, as he moved his head. Cerrone didn't do that here. He got hit full. He got out. Yeah, he got out. He got out in front. He got out. He, he let his, his head get out in front. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. his chin, and, his chin uh, got his chin got way ahead of his shoulders. Yeah, and and that's the idea. If your chin is uh, at your toes or ahead of your toes, a clean shot is way more likely to knock you out, Nick. And that's exactly what happened here. Uh, clearly, whatever it is that uh, Justin Gaethje and the squad is doing up there in, De- in Denver, it's working, man. They, they are refining his pressure style. He, it seems like Cerrone's game plan on this one was to be aggressive and to get it Gaethje in a way uh, before so that Gaethje wouldn't have the opportunity to get him. And that's exactly what played into Gaethje's hands because it turns out Gaethje's not only good as a pressure fighter, he can counter the hell out of you as well. Uh, not exactly the kind of fight we expected, but I think it is a, the kind of finish we expected uh, given the style uh, matchup. It was um, pretty much... I, I, thought it, I thought it was going to end quickly. Yeah, I think you called first round. I think I expected a, a second round finish. Um yeah, I didn't think again. after. I thought after the amount of after the amount of punishment, we've seen Cerrone against Till went out pretty quickly, if I recall, and the amount of punishment he took in that Ferguson fight, even though it was a close fight, um, at least for a little while, I thought it. You know, he does this sometimes. He just comes back too soon. 
And I just, yeah, you know, he wasn't very durable. No, he, he wasn't. And I don't know about this coming back too soon, Nick, because Cerrone's the type of guy where if he's winning a bunch of fights, and by the way, he always fights, right? He doesn't take six months off on the regular. He's always very busy. So if he's winning five fights in a row, everyone's like, yeah, it really works for Cerrone to keep fighting, to stay busy. And then he loses one, and everybody goes, oh, he came back too soon. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the, well yeah, but it's it's the... It has to do with what happens in that fight. He got hit about 120 times in the Ferguson fight in the head. His face looked like tomatoes that had been smashed up against a wall. Like, yeah, true, true. I, I don't know that he took a whole lot of head drama, which is what you know leads to a knockout. Uh, I, I would argue that Justin Gaethje fighting Donald Cerrone a week before the Ferguson fight with Cerrone getting a full training camp, it probably would have been the same fight. And I think that if Cerrone fought, uh, if Cerrone fought uh, Tony Ferguson again. It would be very much the same fight, except he probably wouldn't blow his nose and he'd get finished in the third round. Right. Ferguson doesn't really have the same kind of power that Gaethje does. But again, Cerrone does really well when he's busy. And yep. he he gets bested by better fighters, especially pressure fighters. That's what happened here. Um, it's interesting with Gaethje in that he's on this three-fight win streak, three-knockout win streak, uh, every win looking better than the last. And he's still got Dustin Poirier uh, in between him and Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov in the rankings. By the way, for some reason, Conor McGregor is number three. I mean, fame has a serious, serious uh, effect on a person's rankings, Nick. I, I assume Paige Van Zandt is still somewhere in the top 125 or top 15 up there. Um, Gaethje's still only number four, even though he looks like, you know, the the kind of the, the, the contender next to Tony Ferguson. I wouldn't even say below Tony at this point, just because Tony's been uh, not, not been able to stay very busy with the injuries. What are your thoughts? Is Khabib going to end up fighting uh, Ferguson or Gaethje? And what are your thoughts about the two potential matchups? Uh, he should absolutely fight Ferguson next. I think that uh, – I don't know what's going to happen there. But my my guess is that Khabib's uh, – his strength will be the difference. And he'll be able to um, – I think he'll be able to uh, hold Ferguson down and prob- probably – um, get a choke. I think Gagey might be a little scarier of a matchup because of his power and because um, Khabib, you know, has been known to eat a shot or two. Uh, but I think I think Gagey's got a few more fights before he gets he gets to Khabib. I'd like to see re- his fight with uh, Poirier was so good. I'd love to see that that run back. I'd love to see him fight McGregor. I mean, him against McGregor would be so much fun. Uh, and I don't know what would happen. I don't know what would happen in that fight. Uh, but that's the, I, I think that's that. I think that's the fight to make. I think that's a like either whoever whoever wins that fight is getting a title shot. So um, I think that's yeah, the fast the fast track. Right. That's the fast track to a title shot. So I go I go Khabib Ferguson McGregor Gagey, and uh, you know see what happens. I, I I I'd be so excited to see either of those fights. I mean God, you put it. I mean the crime I guess of putting it on a uh, on the same card. Which they might do. They might do Gage. I, I think you can't. I think you got to do Gage and McGregor five rounds, and it needs to be a main event. They may. I could see them wanting to do it, but I don't. I just don't think. I don't think you blow those two massive buy rates because Khabib's a, Khabib's a million dollar pay per view draw. I mean, I'm sorry, a million uh, a million pay per view buy uh, draw, and Connor's a million pay per view buy draw. So I think each of those fights does. You know they can make they can make their their whole year on those two fights. Um, I definitely good stuff. don't think Khabib is a. 
I definitely don't think Khabib is a million pay per view by draw, but I think he's oh, becoming you, a UFC you, star. You don't think so? Um, you don't? You know? Do you know how? Do you know how many people live in Russia and what percentage of, of uh, Russian citizens watched that fight when he do fought? You think Russians? Do Do you think Russians with the current Russian economy are paying sixty U.S. dollars for? I don't know what they're paying, but they're paying. Fight? They're paying. They're paying something, and there's broadcast rights, and there's there's money. There's there is big. There's big, big money, I think, in that territory. I don't know if it's through telecom and they get it for free. What I do know is that I read that I believe 30% of Russian citizens watch that fight. That's interesting. But I'd also know, for example, in Britain, BT Sports is a subscription right. channel for sports that also plays UFC pay-per-views. And that's not, you know, they don't pay anything extra for it. The pay-per-view thing, it's not in every country. So I'm not so sure that, again, with Russia's economy, with what's going on over there, I, I'd imagine it would be on free TV. I think uh, they would it want was, to show that. It was, on free t- it was on free TV, and it was watched 26 million times. That makes sense. Uh, that, um, that makes a lot of but sense. But, but, someone, but again, I mean, they're selling advertising against that. Like someone's, pay- someone's paying to big money to, for the rights to that fight. And, that might, and that, some of that money's making it back to Khabib and his opponent. I would be shocked if Khabib is anywhere close to the star that McGregor is. But, again, a huge win by Justin Cagey. He looked goddamn fantastic, Nick. How about Glover Teixeira? We expected him to score a submission in this one. He ended up toughing his it was way close. to a decision. Uh, yeah, yeah, very competitive did, decision. Both guys he, look good. Yeah, they look good. I mean, here here's that fight. It was interesting. It was competitive. You have a guy who is a superior fighter who's a little bit old. Um, against a talent, a slightly less talented guy who's younger. It, it. This is what I know. Either one of those guys against Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, or John Jones absolutely gets their clock cleaned. But aside from that, it was a great fight. Yeah, I think that it's a really good sign for Nikita Krylov that he finally made it to a decision in his career, and he didn't look completely exhausted and distraught. It probably helped that he was fighting a 40-year-old man, granted, but... He didn't look completely exhausted, and he did in every one of his other fights. All of his losses uh, tend to be in round two uh, or late round one after he looks really good early. So good sign for him. He looked in better shape than usual. I, I, hope, uh, I hope he's actually like taking his training to a new level because it's the conditioning and the, and the lack of pacing himself that was his issue prior to this. Yeah, uh, He looked better than usual. Uh, a nice win for Glover. I'm glad Glover won for the sake of the bet, but it would have been great, better, I think, for the division if Nikita Krylov was able to pick up this victory, especially following that win over, over Vince St. Um, Yeah, I mean, looking down the rest of the card, Duffy Hughes, we don't need to talk about because that was just an amateur hour clusterfuck. Um, Duffy quit. Then, we, then you had this... What a weird fight. Michelle Perea, springboard and backflipping, fighting against a guy who looked like he was two weight classes smaller with with no body, who just who just waited for Perea to throw these looping arm punches or do like weird backflips and then grabbed a leg and just he you know fought a scrappy meat and potatoes fight. You know, credit to Tristan Connolly, who's a veteran who trains with tough guys. He was not intimidated at all. He's just like, honestly, he was like he was like a guy in a video game who just waited for the boss character to play out his pattern, and then just like, you know, did what he had to do. He just, I, I, adm- I admired, uh, I admired his performance because nobody thought he was going that he had a prayer or he was going to win that fight. 
But that that was I that's agree. that's that's mental toughness. That's mental toughness to do deal with that idiot for two, <laughs> for two rounds, and then just school Absolutely. him like that in the third. So I mean, I'm interested to see Michelle Perea again. I'm interested to see Tristan Connolly. I don't know what kind of what kind of you know career either one of these guys is going to have, but Perea needs to he needs to learn how to punch properly first of all, and. Uh, I, I mean I don't know I don't know what else, I don't know what else to say. You've, I thought that he was going to be a Panzanobo. Uh, I always fuck up that guy's name. Style striker who's just like terrifying Puns and, and, and a, a style striker and be like terrifying and aggressive. And instead he he just he was just like you know clowning. I don't know. Anyway, the opposite end of the yeah, spectrum like, from that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It was a, it was a very amateurish performance on his part for sure. I mean, I had a uh, I had a, a friend who fought in the amateurs a couple years back, and going into the ring on his way into this Muay Thai fight, I think it was his second fight. Uh, he was just so excited, jumping up and down. The crowd was on his side, and he was so into it, and and literally blew his load before the fight started. He looked really good in the first round, and then and then got overtaken in the second and third because he was exhausted. I saw the exact same thing here. Pereira in the back was warming up with the hardest punches I've ever seen on a warm-up. Like, why are you going 100% back there when you're not necessarily known for having a gas tank? You after a bad weight after a bad weight cut, mind you. Well, yeah, but if you look back at his career, he's done this before. He's got, what, six losses? Like, before no, 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 no. I'm just saying. I'm, no, I'm just saying. He, it should's even worse that he was go, cr- throwing crazy punches in the back when he had, he had he had a bad he had a bad he and he said after the fight that he had yeah. a really bad weight cut and that's why he got tired. It's like, well, if you know you had a bad weight cut, like you should your ass should be like drinking water and like stretching in the back. A hundred percent. Part of the problem is that he didn't have his coaches. Apparently, they had issues getting visas to fly into Canada, and so I I don't know if he came in there with a buddy or like. Found somebody that he knew that was already in that in 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 whatever part of Canada they fought in, uh, but he, uh, from what I understand, his actual coaching staff was not able to make it in, so he was all on his own, cutting weight, uh, dealing with the opponent change, uh, dealing with the warm up and all that. Like I can see how that's how that's difficult, but I've also seen Pereira fight before, and he's done this before. He gets exhausted because he blows his load. You would think he'd learn his lesson by now. There's a reason that Yoel Romero, who has the same level of explosiveness. As Pereira, there's a reason that why Romero fights the way he fights. It's because he knows that if he blows his load, he will be exhausted for the rest of the fight in case he doesn't finish, right? So he paces himself. And when he's in that third round and he knows he has a couple of minutes of fighting left, that's when he explodes. Um, Michel Pereira is the opposite of that. He completely blew his load. He deserved to. Look, technically speaking, I thought he took the first two rounds. I don't think I'm saying this only because I had a $100 parlay involving him. But I thought he won the first two rounds. Yeah. I don't blame the judges for giving it to the other guy because Pereira is kind of an idiot. And can I just say, for uh, for Tristan Connolly, Nick, after the fight, he was doing the post-fight interview. Uh, I don't remember if it was Joe Rogan or, or Daniel Cormier. And, you know, Cormier, I think it was, uh, made a mistake and said, you know, that he took the fight on, on, a, on 10 days' notice. And Connolly corrected him. He said, actually, five days. He took it on five days' notice. And uh, after Cormier talks about how he's looking forward to seeing a fight again. Connolly goes, yeah, imagine what I can do on six days' notice. I'll be that much better. Like, that, that was a good goddamn line. He delivered it better than I just did, but that was yeah. a good goddamn line. I love how relaxed he was, how in the moment he was. And look, uh, the fact of the matter is, at 100 and what, uh, this was at Walter Wright, 155 pounds, Nick, he may just be a really solid fighter. I mean, he's on a five-fight winning streak now, and he was 
uh, eight and one going into that fight in his last nine fights. So it's kind of like karma worthy. Like guys have trouble early in their careers, right? And then they make a change, whether it be a team, whether it be their conditioning, whether it be going full time. Uh, and suddenly they're on a different level. Connolly's been looking good for a long, long time, for several years, longer, I would bet, than Michelle Pereira has. And so, yeah, there's a good chance that he's a decent fighter. He just was just fighting a monster giant who was way quicker, way more athletic than him. How the hell do you deal with that? That's like every single uh, variable in the book on paper was in Pereira's book, including the fact that Pereira had months to prepare for the fight. So Connolly did his thing. Really impressive. Um, Antonio Carlos Jr. got his nose broken, and he survived this time. He didn't completely give in. But Uriah Hall was able to do his thing, him being the quicker, more athletic fighter. You made a good call on that one, Nick. Good pick. Thanks. Yeah, we tied this week, so moral victory for me. But uh, you know what? Yeah, I was, we, really, I was really proud of Uriah Hall because usually you can see mental lapses and poor fight IQ. And people have said about him, even other fighters, I believe, that he's a martial artist, not a fighter. He doesn't. And I thought that he... From from bell to bell, I thought that he fought like a fighter. That he 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 threw he threw hands with bad intentions. He did everything in his power to stay on his feet. When he wasn't on his feet, he kept his cool. Particularly in the third round, when as exhausted as he must have been, you know, after with ten minutes under his belt, to spend the entire five minutes of the third round. Uh, trying to maintain some semblance of a defensive position um, when when he, he had um, given up his back. Or when, our, I shouldn't say he gave it up, when Antonio Carlos Jr. took his back and defending against chokes, defending against everything to gut, to gut out that decision, I feel like from a um, just a maturity and a mentality point of view, um, for me, this was a more impressive victory for Uriah Hall than when he KO'd Musasi. I think this was hopefully a turning point for Uriah Hall. He's so likable and a very, very skilled guy. And maybe, you know, maybe this this was a fight where he got over some kind of hump. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see what his next fight's going to be. I actually have a little bit of the opposite take. The decision <laughs> could have the decision could have gone either way, right? It was a split decision win for Uriah Hall. Um, I personally don't like Uriah Hall very much. I think he has a bully mentality, and I don't know if this is influencing my really? opinion on this. But a bully yeah, mentality? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just based on my experience sparring with him, based on watching him. Oh uh, well, okay. I have, haven't. I haven't. What, I haven't sparred have, with him. <laughs> well, well, sure, but 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 it's also. I haven't on, even been on know, the subway with friends. him. <laughs> Sorry. Right. It's it's also based on. By the way, you don't know. He may have been in another wagon of of your train. Uh, yeah. j- just based on uh, watching him fight as well. When he's doing well, he's doing well. Can he catch you with with a random shot? Yes, but can he rebuild and re rejigger a game plan in order to beat uh, to, to beat you at what you've been doing effectively to him? No, um, he's the kind of guy that you know he he just kind of gives in mentally. He doesn't just let you submit him or knock him out. He just kind of gives in and decides, yeah, I'm probably going to lose this fight. In this fight, Antonio Carlos Jr. did what was expected early. He took him down. He controlled him. And then it was that right hand that Uriah Hall landed and broke his nose that kind of turned that round in Hall's favor. It was like in the last, I think, 45 seconds, 30 seconds of the first round. Up until then, Antonio Carlos Jr. had the round, right? So that's why one of those judges gave him the decision. Second round was Uriah Hall's. Antonio Carlos Jr. looked like he was done. Now, here's the thing. Uriah Hall does really well if he feels like he has an advantage over you, if he feels like he's hurt you, uh, if he feels like you're retreating or tired. Mentally, he can thrive in that position, right? He 
he doesn't do well where you take an advantage over him and you can keep that advantage over him. He can catch you. Don't get me wrong. He's extremely explosive. He's done it a couple of times now where he gets a quick knockout after getting dominated. Uh, but he doesn't, again, he, he doesn't mentally wear himself out of that. He just throws something big and fast and it lands eventually. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., however, actually won the third round. Every one of his losses, he's losing late. He's getting taken over in, in, in the late part of that third round. Uh, it, heck, sometimes in the, even in that second round, his last loss against Ian Heinisch, uh sl- slowly that fight went in Heinisch's favor after Jr. dominated early on. Uh, he dominated early on, and then he dominated late. I actually think mentally he probably made the biggest steps forward uh, it, despite the loss. That, by the way, could have been a decision win in his favor as well. Um, but yeah, a good performance by Hall. But just the fact that Hall was getting dominated in that third round against the guy who's normally dominated in the third round, you know, doesn't necessarily show that he's in a much better place mentally. Um, and he's not the type of guy to just give in and get submitted. He's never been submitted. So, you know, it's not like his mental flaw is that he just kind of finds a way out, gives you the rear naked choke like Conor McGregor is. Uh, but but I digress. Uh, you and I had literally the same impression about opposite fighters uh, in this matchup, which is interesting. Misha Serkinov took Jim Crute down, submitted him in the first round, looked pretty goddamn spectacular, Nick. That was pretty unexpected. It was pretty good for both of them. I mean, I thought that, like, Crute was doing what I thought Crute was going to do, and it seemed like he was close to a TKO. And, yeah. you know, I mean, Serkinov had the right idea out of the gate and was, you know, had a, had a strong game plan. It looked like it was going to work. Then Crute, you know, managed to get control and, and land some nasty stuff. But... That's uh, you know, we don't see a lot of proving necktie finishes. It was it was real pretty. I got nothing but nothing but props. But I don't think I don't think Kurt's uh, I don't think Kurt's a Houston Alexander situation. I think that was a I think that was a no. really a sleek submission. Slick oh, I submission. agree. I think it was I think it was kind of a bad style matchup. Kurt does a good job of turning over and getting on top of guys. He does a good job of getting up eventually if he gets taken down, and he's been taken down multiple times in his UFC career thus far. Uh, but Sirkanov was able to really take advantage. I will say, back when C.B. Dalloway hit the scene and he was winning the Ultimate Fighter, he was winning a lot with that Peruvian necktie. And that at that point, I was really focused on my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, I think I maybe just got my blue belt or, or, or just got my purple belt. And I focused on that move and I focused on the defenses to it. It's actually pretty simple. All Jim Crude had to do was remove Misha Sirkanov's uh, right leg from the top of his head. So, like, Mr. Surkinov's thigh, like, kind of his hamstring, the back of his thigh, was on the back of Jim Crute's neck. And Jim Crute just needed to peel it off, and all that pressure would have been gone. Uh, he obviously, like, hasn't spent a lot of time with that submission, but it really yeah. is a very simple defense. Yeah, yeah it could have very well panicked, too. Um, Augusto Sakai picked up a resounding knockout, first-round knockout victory over Marcin yeah. Tybura. Um, I'm, yeah, I, you know, because of his low output, I, I wasn't super confident in him, but I didn't put him in a couple of bets and that worked out for me. Uh, yeah, you won, you won that one over me. I won't put anything else. I had been following to, uh, Tabura a little bit because against, um, for a while against Derek Lewis and against Arlovska and Verdum, he showed a lot of toughness. I think, I think his, I, I think, he, I think his chin's kind of gone. I think he just, he's taken a lot of punishment in the last two years. I think I'm not going to be picking him again. Um, the rest of the card, yeah, the rest of the cards, not much there. I mean, Skelly Griffin was spirited, good bout. Smolka had a resounding win, but I think I think we can wrap up um, UFC Fight Night 158, aka UFC on ESPN 16, and start talking about 17 and how my picks are going to be better than yours this time. 
Oh, I'm into it, Nick. The fact that you were proud to have a draw against me, uh, we all know how this works. The momentum is heading in your direction. You know what? Uh, I was a fool for changing some of my picks before the event because had I oh, let's be let's were, be let's be fair, Stan. You were a fool before that. Oh, 100 percent. I've been a fool <laughs> many times in my life, sir. <laughs> we're gonna take a break. Come back and talk about UFC and ESPN Plus 17, where we get to see Yair Rodriguez face off against Jeremy Stevens. We'll be back, folks. And we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. We're going to talk about UFC on ESPN Plus 17, where Yari Rodriguez faces off with Jeremy Stephens in a fight that's bound to be exciting, Nick. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. we got Rodriguez, is 11-2. He hasn't fought since that uh, amazing comeback victory in the last second with a no-look elbow against the Korean Zombie. And he's taking on the 28-16 Jeremy Stephens, who really seems like He's been around forever. I mean, I can remember him, you know, landing that shot against uh, Rafael dos Anjos in two in his and he was I was already like a sixth UFC fight. Yeah, he's been in the UFC for twelve, almost twelve and a half years, and he's fought everybody. And he's and he's beaten you know he's beaten some tough dudes, um, but he, he's one of these guys that seems to always uh, you know lose the big one before losing to Aldo and Zabit in his last two fights. And the third round against Zabit, he he seemed like he'd proven something to himself, uh, even though he got that loss. But he did have wins against uh, Gilbert Melendez. Uh, of course, not the same Melendez from 10 years ago, but Melendez. Korean Superboy, Duho Choi. And then um, he, he knocked out Josh Emmett in a real, in a real slugfest. Uh, so Yair against Jeremy Stevens. How do you... Uh, Stanjariev see it playing out? I think this could very well be a toss-up. I absolutely see pathways for both guys to win. I think a lot of this depends on how the fight plays out because both guys are fairly consistent and less going to depend on whether they execute because, again, both guys tend to execute what they want to do. They just kind of are consistent with their pluses and minuses. Yara Rodriguez is really good with those long-range kicks um, he throws shit that you've never even seen in a kung fu movie. Like he, he's extremely creative in there, and clearly practiced. Right, like he's not making it up as he goes. He practices all these wacky, unorthodox moves, makes them effective, and then employs them in, in the octagon. Time and again, he's shown that he can get knockouts that way. Um, and Jeremy Stevens is just a bruiser, man. He's he's been around the UFC for a long time. Accumulated 16 losses, if I remember correctly, Nick. He made his UFC debut as an undefeated fighter and lost by armbar to Dean Lister, if I remember correctly. I mean, that was years and years ago, Nick. Here he is at 33 uh, to years Din, old. Uh, to Dean Thomas. Did I say a different name? You said Dean, Dean Lister. Lister. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's Din, yeah, I mean, Din I, I Thomas is, is a slightly darker complexion. Yeah, yes, that's safe to say. I had I had Dean Thomas in mind as I, as I said the wrong name. That's funny. Uh, and... Yeah, Lil Heathen, he's been around, and he has uh, made a lot of improvements over the years, right? He hasn't stayed complacent, or he wouldn't have been able to compete uh, at this day and age in the 145-pound division. You're right, against Zabit Magovet Sharipov, he didn't look bad in that third round, but Zabit tends to get tired by then anyway, and he never looks great in the third round if his fights go there. Um, 
Zabit looked pretty good early on, although he wasn't taking it by a large margin, and he did take some shots. Zabit had to rely on takedowns, which I don't think Gary Rodriguez necessarily has in his back pocket. No way. Um, Not to take down Jeremy Stevens. No, 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 I don't think that's likely, although we don't see him go for a lot of takedowns. Uh, Jose Aldo, he got, essentially he got caught with that body shot, and that kind of ended the night for him. Uh, I guess it's possible that Yair Rodriguez lands one of those, but I don't know. He's, he's less of a body hunter, more of a head hunter, whether it be the spinning back elbow or the, or the inverted uh, inverted back elbow or the or the spinning heel kicks or what have you. Um, I'm going to give the edge for the win here to Yair Rodriguez. I expect that as the fight goes on, Little Heathen's not necessarily going to get a whole lot fresher. And Rodriguez fought his last fight in which he got a knockout in the very last second of that fifth round. Um Nick, he took the fight on short notice. Here he's had a full training camp to prepare in Mexico City, where I assume he spends the majority of his time training, whereas Little Heathen had to fly in. I don't know how long, how far out Little Heathen flew in. I, I think the elevation is probably going to be a factor. So I'm going to give Yari Rodriguez the edge based on that. Um, I do see ways for Jeremy Stevens to possibly ground him at some point and just pound away. Uh, much like Frankie Edgar did. If Frankie Edgar has the ground and pound power to do the damage that he did to Rodriguez, so does Stevens. And Stevens can also catch him on the feet, so it's possible. But I believe in Rodriguez, especially in Mexico City. What do you think, Nick? I pretty much agree with you exactly. I mean, I went back and forth on this one quite a bit. I, I'm really like 51-49. Like, I think that Stevens is patient. He's seen it all. He absolutely can knock out Rodriguez with one shot. I completely believe that. I think I think Stevens has a much much better chin um, than Yair Rodriguez does, and I just I don't think even though Rodriguez is so creative and does so much stuff, you're not gonna shock or surprise Jeremy Stevens. He's been in there with everybody doing all kinds of wacky shit for you know 15 years, but I I do think that the Mexico City location and Rodriguez's volume um, probably is going to win, but I will not be surprised at all if towards the end of the first or even halfway through the second that Stevens just lands a, lands like a thudding overhand and just sleeps Rodriguez the same way he did Korean Superboy. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're on the same page on this one. I, I do think it's also a factor that Rodriguez is 7-1 and one in the UFC, whereas Jeremy Stevens has figured out a way to to lose to 16 men during his UFC. Yeah, yeah, Ray Rodriguez hasn't fought very many great fighters, though. Like, almost none. That is true. Like, I mean, it's really, like, his, he is not, okay. Leonardo Morales, Charles Rosa, which was a split decision. Hooker, you know, Hooker's is pretty good. He fought Andre Philly three years ago, which is not the same Andre Philly. He split split decision against Bruce Leroy. BJ Penn, which we won't talk about. Uh, Fra- Frankie, where he got destroyed, and then he came back and he was losing on all the cards that fight to uh, Korean Zombie. So like that resume does. I mean, he, he's it doesn't really impress me that much, to be honest. I don't disagree with you, but still, Jeremy Stevens lost six. Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is a jur- he's a journeyman, and this I this. Fight. Here's what we're gonna find out: is is Yaya Rodriguez Zabit or is he Korean Superboy? <laughs> like, it's, we don't know what side he's on, and we're gonna and you fight yeah. Jeremy. You fight Jeremy Stevens to find out. I I agree with you there. Uh, I will say though, in his last twelve fights, Jeremy Stevens is five and seven. 
Granted, the losses are to guys like Zabit, Jose and, Aldo, yes. Moicano, Edgar, Holloway, Oliveira, Swanson. But still, like like he, he figures out ways to lose to guys that aren't yep. too old or, or guys that aren't too young. And I yep. think Gary Rodriguez might be at that mid-range, but I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't ready. Yeah. I, again, I think it's... I won't. I won't be surprised if if Stevens does it. But I think you know, if you're a betting man and we are, I think Rodriguez at home is the bet. I agree. Next up, we've got Carlos Parza going up against Alexa Grasso. Esparza is the veteran here who actually won the UFC strawweight title in her UFC debut, technically speaking, uh, over eventual champion Rose Namajunas. Going up against Alexa Grasso, who's coming into this bout in pretty good form coming off of the biggest win of her career over Karolina Kowalkowicz. Before that, she uh, alternated between wins and losses, but those losses are to Tatiana Suarez and Felice Herrig, not necessarily someone you should be ashamed of losing to on either side there. Carlos Barza is, however, 1-2 in her last three bouts as well. Her win is over Virna Jandrova, but her losses are to Claudia Gadella and Tatiana Suarez, top-level female competitors as well. What are your thoughts on the fight, Nick? My thoughts on this fight are that a lot like Tisha Torres, I think Carla Esparza is a atom weight. Um, she's going to be giving up four inches of height and a little bit of reach. Um, I think that Grazo's uh, grappling ability and her defense should be enough that she doesn't get um, kind of like lay and prayed here. Um, and she's fought, you know, she's, you know, she, she was, she's been in there with some other women, um, who can grapple and it didn't work out so well against, um, Tatiana Suarez, but it did against Randa Marcos. So, and I believe if I recall the Fleece Herrick fight was pr- like, seemed a little bit like a robbery or pretty close, but we kind of weird. I think that, uh, I, I think that Esparza is in the wrong weight class. And I think that she's, uh, you know, peaked a couple years ago. Um, so I'm going to go with the hometown fighter here, Alexa Grasso. Yeah, Grasso Mary very well could be coming into her own here. Um, she's been doing MMA for quite a while now. I think it's very likely that she's at her peak, whereas Carlos Parza probably is not anymore. And this is a Mexico City where Grasso trains, I assume, and it's going to have the advantage in that she's used yeah, to being well, she's from Guada- uh She's from Guadalajara. I don't know if she trains out of Guadalajara. She trains at a, a Lobo gym. Which is in Jalisco, uh, Mexico. I wonder if that's at elevation. I'm sure we can quickly look that up. But Carlos Parza did come out to Mexico City about a week and a half out, which I think is probably the minimum amount of time that if you're serious about acclimating to the local weather and the elevation, that's about the minimum time that you should give yourself out there. The yeah, it's about five. It's about uh, it's about five thousand feet above sea level, fifty one hundred feet. It is great. Yeah, so so she'll definitely be very well conditioned for this. I'm having a hard time with this one. I'm leaning Carla Esparza because of her wrestling. Alexa Grasso lost her second fight in the UFC against Felice Herrig, mostly because Felice Herrig was able to get a couple of takedowns. Herrig looked pretty good on the feet as well, uh, but she was able to get a couple of takedowns, and Herrig is not quite the wrestler that Carla Esparza is. On top of that... Herrig and Esparza are supposed, or at least used to be very, very close friends. I don't know. I don't think they train together anymore, but I wouldn't be surprised if they could exchange some information if need be. Granted, I will say that fight with Herrig and uh, Grasso was two years ago. Um, I'm going to give the edge to Carlos Esparza because of her wrestling. 
Tatiana Suarez was able to take her down. Felice Herrig was able to. Random Marcos was able to. She won a split decision over Random Marcos after all. Um, KK, I think, is actually actually a shadow of her former self. And I'm going to rely on the idea that Carlos Barza, although she hasn't been looking amazing lately, her losses are still to Suarez and Gadelia, who are top-level fighters. The Random Marcos loss worries me. I'm not going to lie to you. But I'm picking Esparza. This will be our first point of differentiation. And I think actually the last time that Grasso fought, we disagreed. And you beat me on that particular fight against KK as well. So Grasso might be uh, might be your secret weapon here. Well, she's. I certainly hope she is. She's also super hot, by the way. Uh, she's a very, I, I agree. She's an attractive young lady. BTW, super hot. Um, would choke me out in a second. <laughs> She's more of a volume boxer, by the way. Really, really refined. Yeah, yeah uh, but boxing. she would, she could, she, she, could, she would crush me. I'm, I'm just, I'm probably, fat, I'm fat and slow right For, now. Um, you are not fat, dude. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, so next we've got uh, Oscar, As- uh, Oscar Askarov against Brandon Moreno. Askarov, an undefeated uh, Russian fighter. From the tape I saw, it looks like he does it all. Uh, really aggressive, killer instinct. Brendan Moreno, we've seen young guy. I think he's young. He fights like he's young. He's 25 now. Um, you know, up and down UFC career. Uh, Mexican uh, fighter fighting out of uh, Tijuana in Baja, California. Uh, had has a couple. Oh, he's having grappling bouts. I'm like, wait a minute. What are all these fights outside the UFC? He's had a bunch of grappling bouts in the last year, and his last couple, you know, UFC fights against Alexandre Pentaha. Uh, Pentaha. Pentoja. Pentoja, thanks, god damn it, and, and Sergio sure. Sergio Pettis, no kidding, Sergio Pettis, um, didn't go so hot, but uh, what do you think, how do you see these uh, these flyweights uh, getting their thing? Sergio Pettis is pretty awesome, um, so this is another tough one, again, this card is full of pick em fights, I, after watching tape, I concluded on Askarov, but to be honest with you, he hasn't fought nearly the same level of competition no. Um, I, I think I'm literally changing my pick as we sit here now. Just because Moreno, granted, he did get run out of the UFC and he had to go out to LFA and win a fight there. And he beat uh, Michael Perez in round four by, by knockout. I'm not sure how that fight went until then. I couldn't really watch tape on it. I know he's been doing a bunch of grappling bouts in the meantime. And, uh, you know, what took him out of the UFC was losses to Pantoja and Sergio Pettis. They're two of the top guys in the division. And his only loss outside of that, uh, within the vicinity of the UFC, is on the Ultimate Fighter, also to Pantoja. After looking pretty good early, he lost in the second round. Um, I, I'm going to pick Moreno because he has the experience edge. But Askar Askarov, he's a grappler. So really, where Moreno cuts his teeth, Askar is pretty solid there. Moreno's going to be a little bit bigger, and I'm relying on him being a little more confident in his hands so that he could freely throw him out there. I do think he has the potential to get some takedowns, but so does Askar. I think it'll be... A close fight, but I'm going to give the edge to Moreno, who's fighting at home. When I go against my opinion of when I watch the tape, it, it, it doesn't go well for me, but I'm going to take the risk here. Interesting. I I mean, also the odds here, like 170, uh, Oscarov versus, to plus 150 Moreno, it, it just it tells me that, I mean, after watching some tape, my instinct is that Oscarov could be kind of scary, and these odds make it seem to me like people know something. Also... I don't feel. How many times have we seen a Russian fighter or a fighter from any republic that was form, part of the former Soviet Union show up in the UFC not ready? Not a lot of times. 
usually they're like, <laughs> you know, usually they're pretty ready for prime time. It's not like like Russian regional fighters show up in the UFC and get in and are cans, at least not. At yeah, the, I, would say, uh, I would say I would say the bigger they are, the less likely they are to be ready. But that's the case. Exa- I, 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 can, I completely anyway. I completely agree with that. And these guys are as small as possible. Yeah, so, as small as it gets in the men's division. Yeah, I just and I know I made this I made this this mistake picking a Korean fighter off of off of tape from regional stuff, but the tape I saw, he just he he just he looked like a killer, and he he I um I don't know maybe he'll get a class, but that I just don't feel like the odds makers would be putting him at minus one seventy if they didn't have something to back up my instincts. So maybe I'm oh, wrong, yeah, but uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to go with Oscar Askarov. Fuck the odds, Nikolai. I don't let right. that shit affect me. Come on. Chris well, I'm, I've, been, I've, I've read the book that Casino is based on like four times. I trust the odds makers. Um, at least not all right the time. On. But in this case, I'm just like, this guy hasn't fought and he's a minus 170 favorite. They know something. Um, yeah, they, they knew something with uh, Pereira last week too, didn't they? Oh. <laughs> So Irene Aldana, who lost a split decision, very close fight to Rocky Pennington, is taking on Vanessa Mello, who I think it's her UFC debut. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, and massive biggest favorite on the card um, is Irene Aldana. Uh, what do you got? You got anything to say about this one? Uh, yeah, I, I watched tape on, on like I know the way that Aldana fights, and I watched tape on Vanessa Mello. Vanessa Mello is actually like a really good fighter. And she counters really well. She's pretty precise. Not really one that needs the takedown, but we'll go for it occasionally. Um, I'm going to give the edge to Irina Aldana here, but I think the odds are way too lopsided. I think the fact that Vanessa Mello is making her UFC debut in Aldana's uh, home country probably makes a difference here. But I wouldn't be surprised if Vanessa Mello is able to, able to get something going. I am going to pick Aldana, though, because she's going to be taller, 5'9 versus 5'5". Um, she's going to have a good reach advantage, and she's the local fighter. On top of that, she's facing a girl that doesn't really go for a whole lot of takedowns, and Aldana is solid standing up. She's getting better and better and better as she goes. And in Aldana's last fight, uh, the part, part of the reason she lost is because she was giving up takedowns. I don't see the, the same danger with Melo as I see with Raquel Pennington. I'm going with Irina Aldana for the jab, long jab cross to get her a uh, competitive decision, in which Melo probably looks pretty good too. What do you think, Nick? Same, <laughs> same pick. Next up, we have a matchup between Martin Bravo. I believe he's the Ultimate Fighter, a Latin America winner, going up against Steven Peterson. Both guys have had a pretty rough go of late. Bravo losing to Alex Caceres and Umberto Bandanai, two losses in a row. Not a good look. And Steven Peterson coming into the UFC, also having recently lost to uh, Alex Caceres, although he. He, uh, you could argue it was a decision that could have gone the other way, and he lo- also lost a prospect, Luis Pena. What are your thoughts on this matchup, Nikolai? Uh, you know, I looked into both of these guys a bit. I think I picked. I didn't. I did. I pick Caceres. I picked Caceres last time against Peterson. I'm gonna pick. Peterson, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna pick Peterson. He, he's honestly, this is these guys look like they're gonna be very evenly matched, and the line is a pick 'em. I like the fact that Peterson fights at uh, at Fortis. And he's got monsters all around him and a lot of like strong and upcoming guys. And I look at Bravo's gym in Mexico, I believe, and I'm just like, eh, <laughs> compared to compared to Fortis. So I'm a 
I'm gonna go with Steven Peterson. Just be, on, it really for me, this one comes down to the strength of his of his camp. Yeah, I hear and that, and, and that's not a bad reason. That's not a bad reason. A very close matchup uh, to give him the edge. I think I, I did something like that last week in one of the matchups for that exact kind of reason. Um, I'm gonna pick Martin Bravo. It'll it'll make another point of dispar- disparity between us, and also I just feel like he's super super busy, and I'm still not convinced that Steven Peterson is all that. He lands six strikes per minute to Peterson's 4.4. That tells me he's going to be busier. He's a super busy guy, and Peterson's not necessarily the type to really hurt him uh, on the feet anyway. Peterson has a good ground game. I might have some concerns about Peterson taking Bravo down and and winning some points there, but I'm going to favor Bravo's pressure. They both actually are pressure fighters, but Bravo's more dangerous with it. I think he's going to be more loose. He took a year off after a couple of tough fights, against uh, Umberto Bandanai, in which he got head kick knocked out, and uh, Alex Deseris. And I, I hope that's enough time for his mind to heal from that head kick knockout, at least back in 2017. Um, expect him to pick up, I expect him to pick up a decision win here over Steven Ocho Peterson. What uh, next fight up? They got uh, Carlos Huachin against Jose uh, Quinones. Quinones is the favored fighter. So he is 29-year-old, 5'8", long reach, 69 inches, Alliance MMA fighter, 7-3 and three record. Um, he's only really lost to, you know, he's got three losses, Nathaniel Wood, Alejandro Perez, and Davi Ramos. So he's only lost to pretty, uh, pretty top guys. Um, and he has a win over Diego Rivas. And he's taking on uh, Carlos Huachin, who... Has only has only had one other fight in the UFC, which he got ground and pounded out uh, by Ronnie Barcelos. What do you, what do you think's going down here? So I actually had a really hard time with this one, despite the odds. The odds would make you believe that this would be a one-sided beating in favor of Quinones. I don't think that's the case. I absolutely see ways for Carlos Huachin to get a knockout here. The guy hits really hard. He throws in combos. Um, he actually looked pretty good in his UFC debut in that first round. He actually beat Honey Barcelos in that first round, and Honey's considered like as top a prospect as it gets. He hasn't really had the chance to fight any top names yet, but he's considered like one of the best fighters in the world at the, at the weight. And uh, Carlos, who took the fight on short notice, looked pretty damn good. I am going to pick Quinones here, partially because I'm a pussy, and I'm not willing to take that risk, but... Quinones is, is overall busy. He can get hit, though. He can get hurt, and that's concerning for me, right? But he is going to shoot under uh, Huachin's big strikes and potentially get takedowns. Uh, he's going to drive him up against that fence and, and try to incorporate his ground game. I saw Huachin get taken down a few times in uh, a couple of fights ago, and it was maybe a year, a year, year and a half ago, and he's had some time to improve on his takedown defense. But the only reason he was able to win that fight uh, is because his opponent kept going for leg locks from top position, kept giving him top position time and again. But he kept getting taken down, and he wasn't necessarily getting up. That's concerning, even though he looked like he was much more athletic and uh, really good on the defense against Barcelos. Barcelos did knock him down to eventually submit him. I'm going to pick uh, Jose Quinones here, who is going to apply some pressure. He's, he's going he's gonna to do his damnedest. Like, he's not a guy who loses heart. He's not a guy who gives up by any means. Uh, and he does throw more per minute than his opponent here. I expect him to stay busier. I expect him to get takedowns, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets caught and knocked out. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I think Jose Quinones is going to win a decision. Marco Polo Reyes is going up against Kyle Nelson here. Both guys have had a rough go of late with Kyle Nelson losing his first two UFC bouts to pretty good opposition. 
And Polo Reyes, who's had some a couple of decent knockouts in his UFC career, is coming off of two knockout losses to Drew Dober and Demir Hadzevic. Who do you have in this one? Oof. Yeah, this is one of those fights where um, it's like, you know, whoever loses is probably getting their papers. Uh, Marco Polo Reyes is the underdog. I've got I've got him in it. I didn't watch a ton of, of tape on either of those guys. Just my instinct to go with the... Um, uh, what's called the hometown guy in a in a in a bout like this in a lo- in what is essentially a loser leave town match. Yeah, that's exactly I think what this is. It's a loser leave town match. I agree. Nelson's got a one inch height advantage. He is six years younger than Polo Reyes, and Nelson tends to get tired as the fight wears on, and that's when he can get finished. Whereas Polo Reyes gets tired no matter what happens, whether he's winning or losing. Uh, plus, <laughs> Nelson has a ground game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the edge to Nelson, and this will be another uh, disagreement between us. Um, I just feel like Nelson has a ground game, and he should be able to take him down at some point before he completely is exhausted. Uh, yeah, you might you might be right. Else. I mean, he's got the better wins. I mean, he's got in his career, he's got wins over Kama Worthy and Jonathan Brookins, which is which are I mean, those aren't like the greatest scalps to have, but they're better than uh, any of the scalps that um, Reyes has. Well, Polo Polo Reyes was four and one. Uh, five fights into his UFC career. He's still 4-3. and three. It's not bad, right? I mean, he lost to Vic, Hadzevic, and Dober, who are pretty solid, pretty well-known fighters. He did beat Matt Frivola by first-round knockout, which is damn impressive. And he's got uh, a couple of other knockouts during his UFC career. So, Dong Yang Ma, who's not a elite fighter, but pretty good. Um, yeah, I don't think Polo Reyes sucks by any means. I just feel like... Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Nelson washes out of the UFC 0-3 either, by the way, but... I'm giving him the slight edge here. Uh, yeah. We've got Angela Hill going up against Ariane uh, Carmelosi. Angela Hill is a UFC veteran, 9-7 and seven record. Not exactly laying anyone's hair on fire. Uh, really good person, though. Really likable. Has a very followable social media stream. Versus Ariel Carmelosi, who is a Brazilian fighter, 12-1 record. Been racking it up there. Um, mainly a striker. Who do you favor in this one, Nick? You know, I, I did a bunch of research on this one. I like Angela. She's been very active. She's two and wait, one and two, I think, so far in 2019. And she fought at the end of 2018 also. So I believe this is her fifth fight in the calendar year. Um, she's favored in the fight. Watching tape, and we know how Angie fights at this point. And we know who her losses are against. And Ariane Carnalasi yeah. is a tank. She's built like, um, she looks like if someone merged Amanda Nunes and Jessica Andrade. She's got thick <laughs> arms and a thick, you know, just a thick trunk. And she throws merciless shots and mixes them up with, with knees. She has a sick killer instinct. But she's just, she's a tiny tank. And, and Angela Hill has traditionally lost to those fighters. Hill seems to do well against... Um, fighters that let her stay on the outside and want to kickbox with her. And she's a great kickboxer, um, and she can strike, so she does, you know, she does very well there. When she fights, you know, a little tank that's going to that's gonna pressure her and get her up against the cage, um, things don't go that well. And that's exactly what Arian Carnalasi is. Um, so just based on the tape I saw, I think that, I think that this is a really bad style matchup for Hill. Also, Carnalasi is with that that terrific um, Brazilian gym that all the killers come out of. What's it called? Um, help no me out here. Out. Yes. Um, so I feel like she's been, you know, she's been mixing it up in training with monsters 
and uh, she just she just says she has that look like you know we'll see we'll see what happens but i i think it could be uh, a long night for angela hill or hill could you know come out and knock her out with a head kick but i have a feeling that she's going to get pressured up against the cage and eat a, eat a lot of heavy shots um the interesting thing to see will be i don't know a lot about the brazilian's gas tank and angie did go three rounds with andrade and you know that's that's saying a lot. She's got you know obviously has a hell of a, a hell of a chin if she's uh, if she's going three rounds with the former champ. Yeah, hell of a chin, uh, decent enough conditioning and plenty of heart. Angela Hill though starts off really fast with excellent footwork, and as the fight wears on, that really wears on her. Just her movement takes a lot out of her, and she gets slower and so slower as the fight goes. Ariane Sorosi, she kind of. It's somewhat similar in that way, right? She starts off with like a 10-punch combo up against the fence. It's all speed. There's not too much power there. Um, she doesn't. It looked like she had some hard. power in those shots. I don't know. Well, she she definitely. Well, don't get me wrong. She has power in a lot of her shots, but she throws these like 20-punch combos within about eight seconds sometimes. Yeah. That are clearly mostly mostly arm punches, mostly get deflected. Um, don't get me wrong. She has power. Uh, I've seen her knock uh, girls down and out. Um, yeah, she not she knocked a girl out with a teep, a teep to the gut. Did she? Uh, yeah. I actually did. Oh, I, I I did see that one. Yeah, that, that was actually a good competitive fight. I think it was five rounds, maybe. So plenty of experience on, on her side. Actually, it was a three round fight. Um, so I also give the edge to Carnelosi, but Carnelosi's kind of more, most competitive recent bout that I've seen was against Joyce Mara. It was a split decision win for Carnelosi in that one. And the argument could have very well been made that Mara won the fight. And Mara was a kickboxer who was willing to engage, unlike most of uh, Carnelosi's other opponents. So a kickboxer, um, a kickboxer who's short, who's short like her, though, not a long, not a long rangey kickboxer who's who, you know, whose legs you can grab a hold of with you know with uh, yeah, yeah. although angie's only five three i don't know why she seems so much taller to me maybe because she's so lean yeah right uh Carnelosi has that kind of um jessica andrage body type as you alluded to the fact that she's very muscular very dense whereas angie angie is more uh, more kind of slender more of that neil magny body type than the than the uh jessica andrage um but i wouldn't be surprised if angie was five four and Carnelosi was 5-1, just by the way they look in their individual fights without standing next to each other. Uh, for some reason, Angie looks quite a bit taller. I agree with you there. Um, I, I can see Angie winning a decision here by winning essentially the majority of kind of the middle part of the fight going toward the end. But I'm going to give the edge also to Carnelosi. Angie's just not, unfortunately, not reliable enough. I mean, she alternates wins and losses. And uh, if there's anything two in a row in the UFC, it's usually losses. You know, she's never had two wins in a row in the UFC, although she has beat Moreau's, Yoder, and Escobel. These are not top names. These are not talented, almost unblemished fighters. And Carnelosi could be just exactly that. So I agree with you here. I'm going with Carnelosi, but it breaks my heart because Angie's a really cool chick, and, uh, and she's actually someone that comes from the local fight scene here in New York. Yeah, I love picking her and love watching her. I just, uh, you know, I just think it's a bad style matchup. We'll see. Maybe yeah, she'll, maybe you, she'll, you know, we have the same pick. So if she proves us wrong, it's all good. Um, next fight, I don't, I don't think we have to talk a whole lot about this. I don't think that Tyson Nam has a prayer in the world against Sergio Pettis. Tyson Nam hits incredibly hard. He's knocked out guys like uh, Ali Bagautinov, other guys with like pretty solid records, even as he's losing the fight. 
the guy definitely has a chance against Sergio Pettis, who's been knocked out yeah. after winning several minutes in a fight. Absolutely. And he's a big motherfucker. Tyson Nam is huge. Yeah. I understand he trains with Max Holloway and that crew. Oh. And Tyson Nam Tyson Nam is another one of those guys, Nick, that if you look at I might be conf- record, I think right? I might be confusing him with someone else then. Yeah, there, there's another fighter with a very similar name and a similar look, actually. I can't remember who exactly. Uh, so Tyson Nam is 18-9, and nine, Nick. But if you look at his record, right, he is 6-1 uh, and one in his last seven. So clearly something has recently shifted. Something's recently changed. In that 6-1 and one record, guys like Ali Bagautinov, a 9-1 Rivzan Abuev, um, you know, he's he's been doing pretty well against high-level competition. Um, and... I'm giving it to Pettis, too, because I expect him to be patient and very careful. But Pettis is not exactly on a winning streak. Mentally, he might not be in a great place. I know he's coming back to 125 where he, where he belongs. But he's going up against probably the biggest 125-er in, in the UFC's division as Nan makes his debut here. I wouldn't be surprised if Nan catches a huge overhand right because he has a sick overhand right. He doesn't even need to really land it clean. Um, the problem is he doesn't throw enough, and he's not usually as fast as his smaller opponents, which is usually why he's not winning the rounds until he gets his knockouts. Uh, I'm picking Pettis here, but I wouldn't be at all shocked if Nam got a knockout. Yeah, I guess I forgot that Pettis too is man. He's only one in three in his last four. Um, yeah, but it, those losses are to a much much larger Rob Font, uh, Jose Formiga, and Henry Cejudo, who are the elite of the elite. And yeah, remember and he's it, got that Joseph Benavidez win in there. Yeah, it was very 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 close win, but he de- but he deserved it. He put it on he put it on Jitsu. And he has those those early career losses to Casares and and Benoit. He's still only twenty six years old, and he hasn't, despite um, you know, despite having five losses, he hasn't taken he hasn't taken a ton of damage. I don't feel. No, no, I don't think he, that Rob Font fight. He did get he did get roughed up a little bit, but again, I guess a much bigger, heavy hitting uh, guy. That's likely to happen. Here's the thing with the Pettis brothers. For all we know, um, they have a very short kind of peak and Pettis may be already on, on the end of it because his older brother was past his peak years ago, right? He, he was literally clearly the best fighter in the world, not only winning the world title, but just breezing through some of the very best in the world on his way to that world title. And then suddenly it all went downhill. Sergio Pettis has had his rough points early in his career. Unlike Anthony, Um, you know, he, he had to kind of come back from that and become a much better fighter. He's definitely the more technical guy here. But, again, I see a way for Tyson Nam to get himself a KO. Yeah. Uh, next next up, Nick, we've got Submis- Submission Marrero battle. Versus, yeah, submission that's battle. That's right. Uh, a couple of ground guys who just, you know, get walloped by heavy-hitting athletic 205 Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. Who, do, who between, did you pick? Who did you end up picking in the last fight? I had uh, Sergio Pettis as well as you did. Okay. I think the odds are lopsided, and I'm going to put some money down on Nam. Vinicius Marrero versus Paul Craig, two guys that are good at submissions that suck at everything else. What do you think? I think that Paul Craig is able to. Here's what I think. I think Paul Craig. I I, I think. I think Maria will. I really hope this doesn't turn into a boring kickboxing match. Is what I is what I hope. Um, <laughs> Likely, but ugh. I think more. I think Maria is prop. Like Craig's submissions that he pulls out aren't against like. Mostly against like fellow black belts, they're against like right. I mean, he did. He has uh, maybe a couple, but I, I just have a feeling that uh, let's. I just, I have a feeling that the Brazilian's jiu-jitsu is gonna be better. 
That's that's what I think. So the the thing is that I think that Paul Craig is going to have the wrestling advantage. He's got a pretty solid deep double leg, and he times it very well. That's the only athletic looking thing that that man can do. Uh, and it's funny because I watching tapes on tape on both of these guys. They both fought Alondo Manifield and both got knocked out in the first round. And Nick, get this: both after trying and failing at spinning back kicks. That's funny. It's actually hysterical. They both just flail in a weird, unathletic, slow way into what looks like a spinning back kick. Alonzo Manifield simply moves out of the way, wallops him with the right hand. Yeah, against a, like, against a giant, powerful, like fast Muay yes. Thai striker. That's good. Good idea. <laughs> I will say, though, Marrero is going to be the bigger man here. Um, he's like a thicker guy. He looked quite a bit bigger than uh, Manifield, and Manifield didn't make Paul Craig look big at all so uh, i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go with marrow here as well even though paul craig can get takedowns he does have a solid double leg but he was taken he was turned over and and wasn't able to control jim crute we know that jim crute a high level grappler can finish him down there as we saw in, in last week um i'm in agreement with you here but i'm not sure it's a fight that i'm gonna need to watch so Jaira eubanks going up against betch cohea nick betch cohea in my opinion I just really don't like that lady. Me but either. she somehow wins split decision after split decision that she does not deserve. She's going up here against Sajara Eubanks, who is 4-3 coming into this one, but coming off uh, of her loss to Aspen Ladd. In fact, Aspen Ladd and Caitlin Chukagan are the only people that have been able to beat her thus far. Who do you have in this one? Uh, I'll never pick Beth Cahaya. I would pick a ham sandwich against her. So I would uh, eat a ham sandwich rather than watch her fight. I really and I don't even like ham, Nick. I I think I mean, Eubanks should be able to figure out this puzzle. I mean, she's so strong. Like, you know, we'll see. This is a good this is a good fight for her, a weight class up, and I'd like to see her put it on. Um, I'd like to see her put it on Kahea. Yeah, it's it's very rare that Kahea gets beaten decisively, despite the fact that she clearly sucks at just about everything. Um. I think her, her only win in her last five bouts was against Jessica Einick, and that was a very controversial split decision that I clearly thought should have gone to Jessica I. Um, prior to her Ronda Rousey fight, though, she wasn't defeated against kind of mediocre competition. Yeah, fighting, um, like, this is not, fighting Rousey's training partners, who are, who are, yeah, on, the, who are this, on the WWE now. Yeah, and you know what? That That is apparently the place to be if you're on that team. Uh, Sajara Eubanks, I expect her to be able to pressure effectively enough. But look, she's going to have some bad moments here. Betch Cohea pulls it off. She makes every goddamn fight close. Uh, I expect uh, Sajara to be able to get some takedowns and pressure her standing up with some combos. She should be the faster girl here. And I expect her to pick up a win. But man, I wouldn't be surprised if Betch walks away here with a horrible decision victory. Claudio Puelles versus Marcos Mariano. Marcos Mariano is known as just a striker, Nick. He lost to Lando Venata because Lando Venata took him down and submitted him. And Claudio Puelles is known as a grappler, and he looked really bad in his last two fights when it comes to taking shots to the head. He's like a 22, 23-year-old kid. Martin Bravo threw him around the, the cage and knocked him out. And Philippe Silva kept knocking him down, like, a lot, Nick. Like, the announcers thought the fight should have been stopped before this guy pulled off a miracle knee bar submission. Who do you have in this matchup? Um, well, when you put it like that, I, uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, like, don't get me wrong. Marcos Moriano looked terrible on the floor, just, like, did not do anything to stand up versus Lando Vignata, so it's literally a striker versus grappler matchup here. Um, I just think the odds are kind of silly considering 
how bad Puelas looked when he was taking punches. On the, like, and also like the, fi- really the fight, bad. yeah, the fight starts standing up. But uh, that's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is this is one right. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Puelas. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Puelas too. He tends to get early takedowns, and I'm hoping that'll be enough because if it's not, he's gonna get knocked out. Um, but he does tend to get takedowns early against whoever he fights. And I'm hoping that he can submit him and bring him back to the Brazilian regional scene, much like Lando Venata did. That'll do it for this card, Nick. Yeah. Um, and we're going to take a quick break, come back, and talk about last week and this week's betting. We are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. We're going to give you guys our MMA Geeks betting guide. I am now 13-2 and two in the last 15 events. That is profits versus losses. Really good event for me last time as far as my suggestions go. I suggested uh, straight bet on Gaethje, straight bet on Teixeira, a bet on Hall, on Sakai, and on Hubbard. All of those were wins. I also suggested a bet on Katona. That was a loss, and I suggested a bet on Crute. I also suggested a parlay of $100 on Sakai and Gaethje. So really good event for me overall, Nick. I ended up uh, profiting $268. This was, uh, I think I got 57% return on investment in this one, which is pretty awesome. Good night of bets for me, and, uh, and I'm hoping to double that up this weekend, Nick. What do you got for us? Uh, I mean, it really depends how stupid I want to get, but I think... Uh... I like uh, I like Rodriguez as a straight bet at fifty dollars, and if I was gonna do a triple parlay, even though I haven't won one of those yet, I like uh, Carnalosi, Peterson, and Eubanks. Nick, since you haven't won a triple parlay yet, why keep doing triple parlays? Because eventually I'll win one. <laughs> Fair enough. Can't, can't argue with that logic. Fair enough. Um, because it's yeah, because it's fun when it's fun when you when you do. And let let's see, let's put pop that one in the parlay calculator and see what it'll get me. Let's say we'll say if uh, let's let's say fifty bucks. Bonus one ten. So you're gonna get uh, wow plus four eighty five odds, Nick. And if you bet fifty dollars on that, you're gonna end up profiting two hundred forty two bucks. Okay. Not a bad deal at all. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Of those of those picks, yeah, you you are you have the same pick as me for two of them, so it's the it's Peterson that's the that's uh, the wild oh, card. Oh yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, like, that you know is, what? That it may be the fight. the smart move might be to switch that to Grasso, but hmm, not a bad idea if you really believe in her. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Both of them to me are pickup fights, so it doesn't make much of a difference in that we disagree on both fights and they're both pickups. But if you're more confident in Grasso, I would go that route. I'm uh, more confident in Peterson. Esparza came cool. out hard in her last fight. I think, I, I think, I mean, it's it's about even. I'll stick with, uh, I'll stick with Peterson. Sounds good. Unless I go for um, the quadruple parlay at <laughs> Grasso. Nick, go are ahead. you going to do this? Are, go, are we into no, this? Let's do no, it. Go, go ahead. Nick, believe in yourself, Nikolai. All right, quadruple parlay right. with Grasso for $50. You are a madman, an actual madman. <laughs> Um, so I've got a few bet suggestions as well. I'm going to suggest a straight bet on Carlos Barza plus 105, just 30 bucks. It's a pick and fight to me, but Carlos Barza plus odds against a girl that gives up takedowns, not a bad idea. 
Um, Rodriguez at minus 105, 50 bucks on him. Moreno at plus 150, $20 on that one. Uh, I do think that's, uh, you know, there's a reason he's a bit of an underdog, but I, I think it's a little bit too far apart. Uh, Bravo at minus 110, I'll put 40 bucks on him. Uh, at plus 290, I'm going to put 15 bucks on Tyson Nan because, you know, he could very well catch a big shot over Pettis. Uh, I'm going to recommend a parlay of Aldana and Eubanks. That'll give you about 67, 68% return on investment. Um, and I'm going to recommend $50 on that one in particular, which would net you $34 in a win. Nick, that is it for my bets. Hoping to land big once a motherfucking again. Looking forward to next week, Nick. We've got some interesting things coming up on the UFC schedule. UFC Fight Night 160, Hermanson versus Cannoneer. Not exactly an awesome card, but it does have Gunnar Nelson. Um, who's he fighting? I know that Thiago Alves got replaced. Are you aware of this at all, Nick? Wait, of who getting replaced? Uh, Tiago Alves is getting replaced against Gunnar Nelson, but I forget who the new opponent oh, is. The, the UFC lists uh, Gunnar Nelson versus Alves here. Oh, man, I just let me look it up. I just I just read it today, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, we've also got uh, while you look it up, we've got Ian Kutelaba against Khalil Roundtree. That will be exciting as fuck. Khalil Roundtree looked the best he's ever looked. Oh, uh, Gil- uh, Gilbert Gilbert Burns. Fight. It's Gilbert Burns. That's that's right. That just that just became a better fight, Nick. If you ask me, Burns oh, def- versus yeah, Nelson, definitely much better fight. Uh, actually, I'm kind of getting into this card here. We got uh, Mikhail Olianinchik. I hope I said that name right. Who's that Polish guy who's been tearing it up in the light heavyweight division? Going up against Ovin Saint Pru. This is really kind of a uh, a gatekeeper role for Saint Pru at this point. Alex Oliveira versus Nicholas Dalby. Oliveira is always exciting. He's not uh, a world beater. We all know this. Um, I think that's about it for fights worth mentioning on that card. Uh, but we do have UFC 243 on Saturday, October 5th, Nick. And that's Adesanya Whitaker, Iquinta Hooker, um, Tuivasa's on the card, Diego, uh, I don't know, uh, Raquel Pennington versus Holly Holm. Uh, it's got a couple of decent fights, not as much as I would actually prefer. The main card's good. I'll say yeah, that much. It's, a, it's, it's a busy year. There's a lot of cards, and so, you know, yeah, they, I mean. these fighters out. Oh, we got Macy Macy Chason, like you said, on the right on the um, Copenhagen card. That's my girl. That's He's my girl, awesome. Nick. I didn't know she was on that card. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm Lando Va- Lando Venata against Mar- uh, Mark Diakisi. That's that's a that will not be boring. I, I totally, I totally agree. That would be an exciting fight. You're right. There's actually two fights that break off the card. 